0: Okay. Good morning. Can um, can everybody hear me? Okay. Great. Um, well, welcome to Modex, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Um, what we're going to talk about today is beyond the robot. So, I've been, you know, to this show and many other shows. If you, if you've been around, you've you've probably heard a lot of people that want to disrupt their industry using innovation, and more and more people are interested in the robots. So, as you walk around the show, you're going to see a lot of information about robots and what the material handling industry and the robotics group that we're a part of wanted to do was take a session and talk about what else other than the robots do you need to consider to have a successful robotic implementation. So that's what we're gonna talk about this morning in a panel discussion. My name is, is Matt Culp. I'm with the St. Ange company. We're an independent engineering company. And what we do is look at different designs with automation, including robotics and how to put those together. So I'll be the moderator this morning and uh, I'd like to let the panel introduce themselves.
1: Good morning, I'm John Sloan with Legacy Platform. Um, We are a company that is dedicated to um, fulfilling throughput and capacity specifically within prefabricated structures, mezzanines if you will. Um, Prior to that I've been in the uh, woven and welded wire uh, guarding side of things. And previous to that, about 13 years directly in the mezzanine industry, working for one of the large uh, manufacturers.
2: Good Morning, thanks for coming today. My name is Greg Doppler. I'm president of Cornerstone Specialty Wood Products. We are a company who invented a mezzanine flooring panel back in 1993. Uh, We've been doing this uh, very successfully for about 27 years now. Um, We have 130 million square feet in all 50 states and 20 countries around the world. We have been very active in robotics and found that uh, we've had to do a lot of things differently when robotics came into play, and we're going to talk about some of that today.
3: Good morning, everybody. I'm Fergal Glenn. I'm the VP of Marketing at Six River Systems. Uh, Thanks for having us today. Thanks for um, spending some time with us. At Six River Systems, we build a fulfillment solution, and part of that fulfillment solution is a collaborative robot that we call Chuck. So excited to be part of this and excited to spend time with the panel and you today. Okay,
0: so for those that were listening, we, have, we do have a robotics person, but we also have mezzanine and flooring. And you might be wondering, how does that fit into robotics? It fits into this topic very well, because one of the first things that a lot of the robotic companies had to do was they recognized with robots running around on the floor, there's a lot of available building cube within the distribution centers, and that's gonna be a a big financial hurdle to get past. So we'll talk about in this session, within the context of using the whole building cube, but the lessons learned and the things that we talk about are applicable really um, through the whole solution. So as the group met um, and got started and talked about what we wanted to cover, it all kind of evolved into five topics. And those were engineering and design fundamentals, software integration, safety considerations and risk assessment, return on investment and economics of the solutions. And if you're interested in that more, there is another session sponsored by MHI and the robotics group tomorrow, where they're gonna talk about tools for return on investment specifically around robotics. And then the fifth was employment and labor. So uh, to get things started, um, I'll ask the, the first question is, what are the design fundamentals that should be considered when implementing warehouse
3: robots. And maybe we'll start with Fergal. Thank you. So there's um, like three design fundamentals that we, we think a lot about. Um, so I'll run through them and then briefly dive into each one. So um, empowering the associate, prioritizing flexibility, and getting mean and visibility from data. So what I mean by empowering the associate is we believe that people are going to be very important in warehouses for many, many years to come. And so as we think about robots, it's how can a robot help make the people you have faster or more accurate? How can robotics help improve the quality of your, of your associate's work life? And then also around empowering the associate, we, we think about like empowering the operator as well. So, for that person who's running the building, how can robotics give them um, more insight into what's going on? How can it give them more predictability? Around um, like the second point of, of flexibility, um, one of the great things about the collaborative robots that um, my company make is that they can be easily moved around within your building, or they can be moved from building to building. So, as demand in your business or your industry changes, you don't have something that's fixed to the floor. So, um, like for example, if you're a third party logistics company and um, you've got a, a number of buildings, but you've got certain buildings where you, you've you got a, a peak that's coming up, well, you can take robots from building A and move them to building B to satisfy that peak demand. And then that third point is just around data and visibility. So. Um, with the different solutions that we have, like we're getting more and more into being part of every scan that happens in the warehouse, from inbound to your picking to outbound. And by being part of every scan, it's giving the warehouse operator just better visibility and predictability into into what's going on.
0: Fantastic. And and maybe just to keep things going, Fergal, if you could start the... The next question and then we'll, we'll let the other guys jump in. Um, if you're putting automation or robotics into an existing building, what are some things you need to consider?
3: Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. And so like, probably the things to consider, uh, there could be like infinite permutations because every building is different. And one of the uh, like, all, like robots, um, depending on the type of robot, they, they can be different. And so depending on what the problem that you're trying to solve, there may be different considerations. But just to kind of list a few things to think about, um, like think about your flooring. Think about the size of the building. Think about the size of your active pick area. Um, what other infrastructure do you have there? So, for example, what kind of conveyance do you have? Do you have a central line conveyor? Also think about your, your aisle width. So we, like, we could keep going on and on, but there's a few items, you know, to start with.
0: Sure, and then uh, Greg, maybe, what are some things that you'd have to consider or could the robots in automation even be installed on an existing mezzanine?
2: Sure, well, when you're thinking about this, I think that what you have to consider is, what is this existing structure look like? Is it a, is it a pick module? Is it a mezzanine? Uh, what are we gonna do with the sizing? The different bots require different footprint. They require more room if I have a conveyor that goes down the middle of this platform, I may not need that conveyor anymore. So what do I do do with that? Um, What are we gonna do with throughput? You know, the whole reason that people are implementing these solutions is all about productivity. We're going to double, we're gonna triple the warehouse output, this throughput. So, gee, what are we gonna do about that? We've got this wonderful robot that does that. So, but what about the software? What about, how are we going to replenish these systems? What are we we going to, are we going to have robots going up to different levels? How do we accommodate that? And then there's the whole business about flooring and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the initial thing you got to think about with flooring is it's not the same. It's when in a warehouse, we're going across the surface maybe 40,000 times in 10 years. With these robots, we can be going across this floor anywhere from 2 million to 20 million times over 10 years whole different area with respect to conductivity, with respect to wear, abrasion, uh, a lot of different things to think about.
0: So as, as we've done designs over the decades, uh, we're, a lot of people are used to floor considerations and things on the floor that chew up wheels on lift trucks and maybe catch on pallet jacks or just general safety, but the flooring then is very important. But how about the uh, the structural integrity? Are there any structural changes that would have to be made if you're going to put robots onto an existing mezzanine? Sure.
1: Yeah, so there could be any number of, of things that you need to consider when you are start looking at putting robots onto an existing structure. Things like, uh, what is the existing capacity of the structure? And it's not just necessarily the live load capacity, the total load, but what are the wheel loads that you're going to be imparting with this robot? What's it going to be carrying around? So now you're addressing point loads versus, uh, versus a universal load. There's other things like floor penetrations. Uh, once you start using this this mezzanine for some sort of robotics, as discussed earlier, if the robotics travel floor to floor or the goods travel floor to floor, how's it getting there? And if it's through the mezzanine, do you have the ability to make a, a floor penetration in there to accommodate that? That could be a spiral conveyor, gravity conveyor. It could be the robots traveling on a vertical lift. So a lot of that stuff needs to be considered. Uh, some of the other things as you get uh, into this system is the guarding, the safety of the equipment as well as your associates. Um, as, as robots, as conveyors, as everything starts to move faster, you have that possible interference of equipment and people. How do you guard against those, those two colliding in a catastrophic way? Um, so there's a lot of things that you need to consider as you, as you look to reuse an existing structure
0: you want to add anything to the uh, the structural or should we we have one more question on on the flooring and platforms maybe for some of the uh the engineers here but should you be concerned about the different flooring choices and maybe from the different perspectives how, what should you be considering with the different flooring choices
2: so absolutely uh we found this out the hard way through the school of hard knocks and one of the first things is Again, we're running across this floor millions and millions of times, and it turns out that the existing products don't work very well for that. We actually had to develop new products to take care of this over and over type of uh, wear and rolling traffic that's there. The second thing you might have to think about is is surface friction, the the, the coefficient of friction, the dynamic coefficient of friction, the surface roughness, all of these things are critical for bots, and, and they're different for different robotic systems. You have systems that that Fergal's company make that go, they're fairly light loads and they they go fairly quickly. You have other floors that are very heavy. Sometimes they have debris and this debris can grind into that surface a lot. You have levelness is a huge issue with floors. That's not necessarily an issue on a standard floor, but many of these bots are very sensitive to changes in elevations. We've gotta be level. What are we doing about that? Electrical conductivity is a big one because these floors, when, when you're going across them, that you will generate static electricity. A lot of your bots are sensitive to that. So you have to have all those kind of things in mind when you're thinking about the flooring. It's it's something that, that people have tended to overlook, but it's an important part of the thing.
0: Um, thank you. So I want to move on to the next topic, and that's software integration. And those that have experience in solutions, whether it's conveyors or sorters, or, or now we're talking robotics, um, you know that the software could, and the integration of the software, could make or break on the solution. So maybe uh, starting with with Fergal, what are some software considerations that you should think about when you're implementing it? Because the robots, at least to start, won't run the entire warehouse and they'll have to be plugged into an overall system.
3: Yeah, that's a great question and uh, software integration is key. Um, Because you probably already have a warehouse management system and your warehouse management system today, it's controlling that building. So as you're investigating different providers, like try to understand what do they interface? How do they interface? Um, like ask questions ar- about inventory, like where where is that kept? Who is the master of that? And kind of one of the ways that like, we try to approach it to make that integration really easy is that Right now, we have the warehouse management system uh, continue to own inventory. And with our integration right now, we just look at, hey, what's all the work that needs to take place in the building right now at this moment in time? And then we will um, break that work down into uh, specific orders and assign those orders to our robot, Chuck, so that the operator who's with that Chuck has the most optimal pick path in the warehouse to reduce the walking, um, but like d- definitely ask um, like who's doing the integration. How many have you done? Um, and like you know, uh, go and ask for for the APIs as well, so that you can give it to your developer, so that they could potentially start building some prototypes or do some testing even in advance of getting robots into your building.
0: Thank you. Yeah, there'll be. The holders of the orders, the processors of the orders, the, those that prioritize the tasks, those that create the tasks, and then ultimately the robots that execute the tasks. And so, it's important to um, understand who's going to own each of those those software tasks. Um, the, the next topic we had was was safety and risk assessment. So, not every robot is created equal. Um, they're not going to take over, but they are, like you said, cobots, which means they're working with people inside the warehouse. And uh, last year, I I didn't meet Fergal, but I I did go visit and I met Chuck and I saw him working in the test center. And I thought, this is great. You know, you could use this in a retail store to stock shelves or a lot of other areas. And the person told me, well, all it takes is is one parent to have their three-year-old dive in front of it, claim they're hurt, and then you have a lawsuit. So there's a lot to consider when um, you're working with cobots. So, I guess maybe Fergal to start. What are some safety considerations that need to be addressed in the early stages of concept and design?
3: So, like how I like to think about safety is you've got you've got being safe and also you've got feeling safe, and so so there's a difference. Um, like there's a an immense amount of advanced um, sensors, technology, software in robots, and like the reality is a robot could safely zip by you and it could zip by you with maybe just five millimeters of space but it is that is safe now that mightn't feel safe or that mightn't be a great experience and so as you're building out these systems you have to get that right balance between being safe and also feeling safe and so a better experience rather than the robot just zipping by you at full speed is when the robot detects yeah that's a person that I'm going by. Like, w- let's, let's slow down and go around that person at an appropriate speed. Um, like, another example that, I like, to th- that I, I, I like to share is you think about in the warehouse where like, there's a lot of corners to turn. And now, when we're driving a car, like, what should we do when we're coming to a crossroads or we're coming to a blind spot? Like, we should slow down, like observe what's around us, and then like, turn around that corner, exit that corner, and then we can speed up as we're exiting the corner. So that's another thing that we, we, we program into our systems so that like it could safely, like, because the stopping distance is so fast, it could safely go around that corner really, really quick. But if somebody is standing at the end cap, it's not a great experience. And the last story that I'll share as well, where you gotta think about the, the balance of feeling safe and being safe. In a lot of warehouses, you've got one-way aisles. Now, you can program into a robot, what are the one-way aisles, and the robots will always respect that. But who doesn't always respect the rules? like People. So now imagine you've got this narrow one-way aisle, and you've got the robot going the correct way down the aisle, but there's a person walking the wrong way down the one-way aisle. So as that person comes close to the robot, the robot will see it, and the robot will stop. So that's b- being safe. Now think about the feeling safe. So... When that person stops, what their natural reaction might be is take a step backwards. Now if the person takes a step backwards, if the robot wasn't programmed better, what the robot would do is nudge forward and it would go right up to that person again. And then if the person takes another step back, the robot will nudge forward again. <laughs> Who wants to work with something like that? <laughs> so um, like these are examples of like, that balance between feeling safe and being safe that we have to think about as we're developing these systems.
0: So really interesting point, the difference of being safe and feeling safe, and you know, people that feel too safe all of a sudden might not be safe anymore. So John, what, what can be done outside the robot to help the, uh, the the weak link in this system, the people be more safe? That's a tough one.
1: Um, actually, in all seriousness, there's a lot of things that you can do to help people feel more safe inside this facility. So. Uh, Part of what you've heard us talking about so far is, in the context of robots, is everything has been referring to a robot that's actually moving around. But we also know that there are fixed robots that do a lot of other work. So as it relates to some of the fixed robots that may be uh, palletizing or depalletizing that are manipulating large loads, it's important that you look at the proper guarding. So does it have some sort of fencing around it with a safety interlock so that should an employee... Uh, open up the cage. It's going to shut that piece of equipment down, and I don't want to say eliminate the chance of, of injury, but it's going to greatly reduce the the chance of an employee getting tied up with a robot. Uh, that also goes for when you're working on some of these elevated structures. Now, with with the feel safe and be safe, both those items, you have a lot of uh, a lot of robots moving around at any given time. It's protecting that edge and making sure that you have act. Uh, excuse me the applicable guarding to keep people from if they're stepping up on a stool to pull off of, a, a, of an upper shelf in any of these aisles, are they still at a safe height that they're not gonna fall over an edge? There's a number of different things to look at on elevated. The other part, going back to the structural discussion we had earlier is it's a very low likelihood, but if you have an existing mezzanine that's been around for 10 or 15 years, it likely wasn't designed to have a bunch of robots running around on it. In the unlikely event that you have say 100 of these bots all moving in one direction that come to a sudden stop, now all of a sudden you have a pretty heavy force, a stopping force that, is, that probably wasn't designed into that structure. So something else, it's, again it's a safety item that if you have employees that are on or below that structure and something catastrophic were to happen, you need to consider that as well as you look at upgrading into the robotic side of things.
0: So we've talked about three of our five big ideas, engineering and design, uh, safety, and software integration. Um, Before we get to the last two, which is labor and how they quote-unquote feel about working with the robots and, of course, investment, ROI, I just wanted to take a minute to see if anyone had a, a question they'd like to ask the panel before we move to those two topics.
2: be doing a great job. We must be doing a great job.
0: That's one way to interpret it. <laughs> okay, I didn't really think so, but I just wanted to make sure and ask. So what we'll do then is i um, going to go out of order a little bit for the, for the panel, but since we're talking about safety, continue with the labor and the people aspect of it and go to the employment and labor question. Uh, do, you, do you still find maybe maybe Fergal or even Greg or John in talking to all the Different people that want to consider robots. Do you still find that people are afraid robots are taking their jobs?
3: Will I go? Will I go first? Go for it. Sure. Okay. Um, I, I think that's a, a great question, and the the reality is, though, if you look around the country day, uh, the country today, with employment being as as low it is, as it is, that with every single operator that we talk to, their biggest challenge is they can't get enough people into the building to do the work that's needed. And not only can they not get the people into the building like to do the work that needs to be done today, like it makes them like really worry about how am I going to grow my business? How am I gonna grow this operation? And so like, we, um, we we don't experience that from like the the operator side, be it the vp or director of supply chain, and then even when we get into the building itself with your floor manager that like they're feeling the pain day to day with not having enough associates on the floor like they're feeling the pain when an associate you know gives up this job to go to the building next door and so um, with the technology that particularly the collaborative robotic companies are building, like it's, it's making the job of being an associate better. Like it's reducing the walking by half or more for your associate that's in the building. It's also it's making that job easier where they don't need to pull around or push around a heavy cart. So they're not exerting like tremendous force on their elbows and wrists to get those carts moving. And it's also something fun. Like it's fun to be able to go and use that latest technology. And it's, it's fun to be able to like go home at night and tell your friends and family that you know, I'm working alongside what's, what's like an automated vehicle. And it's able to move around the building. It's able to see things. It's able to tell the difference between a person and a box. And it goes nice and safely around the person. It will keep going full speed around the box.
2: We, uh, to the point about the ergonomics, we did a study on this uh, a number of years ago before robots were really coming into play. And uh, an independent study we conducted found that the average warehouse worker was putting in about 25,000 steps, about 10 miles a day. And it was a big deal. People were getting injured. They have musculoskeletal injuries and things of the like. And so this is something that can absolutely be reduced by using robots in the proper function. Um, I would say to the, the people who are concerned about the jobs, we have been working, it's anecdotal evidence, there's a lot of it out there, but we've been working with the, the world's largest uh, e-commerce uh, uh, supplier in the, in the world. You guys all know who that person is or that company is, and they put in 100,000 bots in the last five or seven years. At that same time, they've hired over half a million people. I think that the jobs can change. The jobs can get easier. They can get more pleasant, but you're never going to get rid of the jobs that they need. As they become more productive, they get more things done, they need more people to run those things. So it's it's sustainable. I don't think that people are in a huge risk of losing their, their jobs from my perspective. Thank you. And I think we all know we're in
0: a in the macroeconomic environment, three and a half percent unemployment. That's not likely to sustain, but these jobs that that Greg mentioned require a lot more labor than the traditional jobs. And the demographic of people are less and less interested in physically demanding jobs that the warehouse jobs could be. So even if there is an economic slowdown, there's still going to be, or some of the experts that study this and know a lot more about it than I do, they still see an increased demand for this type of technology and a sustained need for labor and warehousing and distribution, and that's not going to go away.
3: There, so there is, um, like, as we were preparing for this, uh, we were talking about a very interesting phenomena that um, that's called the the automation paradox and so um, and there's a, a few papers written about this but the the automation paradox is the more and more you automate something, the more important the role of the human becomes in servicing and supporting that automation and so there's a um, like I think it's a very very interesting read. It's up on the New Yorker. But if you go and and Google the automation paradox, um, like it gives a, a great overview of like as we automate more and more, like people, your people in the building, they're going to become even more critical than they are today.
0: Okay, what one more topic? The next topic, and that is the robots sound great. Everybody wants a robot. Now we have to buy some robots, and and what are the economic and return on investment considerations that should be taken? So maybe um, Fergal, are there some just basic considerations that operators can make to evaluate whether or not the robot makes sense for them?
3: So we, um, like, we started our company, Six River Systems, because like, we, we knew firsthand what, what it's like in the building, the challenge to get more eaches. Um, more individual items out the door every single day, and so like it it has to start with if you're making an investment really for uh, in anything in your building that there there needs to be a return. And then like you can go through your your math around. Well, for for my business, uh, what is the time period that we're looking to ma- to get that return back in? Um, we hear like, very very frequently that. Um, companies are, have now went from where maybe ten years ago, when you were thinking about automation, people were thinking about a five to ten year return, and that has shrunk down now into companies saying, "Hey, I can only get funding for projects that are delivering a twelve to eighteen month return so one thing it starts with like what is there, that return then when you 're thinking about the project, like think about the different phases of the project think about the design of what you're going to implement. Think about, well, how long is that design going to take? Think about how long is the deployment going to take? And as you compare different automation and different types of robotics, like, you'll be able to like, build out that data and, and see, well, you know, if I go and I did a goods-to-person type system because I need to change some stuff in my building, the deployment is X, if I do a collaborative robotics-type system where there's less moving or disruption to the building, then the time to deployment might, be, might become a Y. So th- there's a, a lot of different factors. Um, and then once you have your system operational, then it's like de- uh, dependent on, well, what does the volume look like? What does your skew count look like? What does the skew mix look like? And, and the last, my last point here is like our world changes so quick like it's changing faster and faster every month that with any investments that we're making into the warehouse like we we have to think about well like how is my business going to look in 12 months time and 24 months time and like are the decisions that I'm making today is it going is the system going to be flexible enough that it can change with with me as my business changes.
0: So Greg what are some other investments that might have to be made to make the robotic implementation successful?
2: Sure, thank you. I think when you're thinking about ROI, that it can't be just about the bot. Again, we've been talking about beyond the robot here, and so what are we gonna have to do? Do we have to make alterations, again, in the software? Do we have to make alterations in the, the throughput? Do we have to change the flooring to accommodate what we're doing here? I think it's important to look at that whole picture when you're generating the, the I part of the so you can get a good R, right? There's gonna be an investment that needs to be made depending on individual circumstances and structures, I would say. Um, I think one of the advantages that you do have, too, when you're thinking about return on investment is that you do have the concept that this is equipment. And if I'm, not, I'm not a tax expert, but I think many of, this can be, many of these investments can be depreciated over a more rapid basis than, say, a new construction could be. So those are all things to think about when you're generating an ROI is what does the I look like and, and what kind of R is that going to generate based on that. So to build a little bit off of what Fergal was talking about, in terms of
1: having a uh, system, what's the scalability of it? You know, he was talking, what does your business look like in 12 to 24 months? And it's easy to talk to somebody that's on the integration side and say, sure, you can scale this system up; it can have a higher throughput, more SKU counts. But you also need to consider: are there physical limitations to your to the scalability? If do do you physically have the building space, whether it be on a ground level, whether it be elevated structures? All of those need to be considered as you start looking at this ROI because long term, if if 24 months down the road, you're ready to scale up but you have to now go into a new building that's going to make it a whole lot harder to justify the ROI or to carry along
0: the system that you just implemented. Thank you. And as an independent engineering consultant, um, what that means is we don't buy and sell any hardware and so the service we provide is the return on investment calculation and unbiased return calculation and I have to tell my my marketing supplier friend, I haven't found a client that was okay with a 10 year payback yet, <laughs> but we, uh, we, it is getting smaller and smaller. And um, like he said, maybe 10, 15 years ago, we were strictly looking at labor reduction and square foot reduction. Those are the big drivers for automation, especially in new buildings. If you could reduce the spend on the building and reduce the amount of labor, that's a direct straightforward payback for the automation. I mean, now, in the the economic climate we talked about, the unemployment that we talked about, and some of the safety concerns we talked about, people are, clients are more and more, maybe not creative, but looking into what some more real justifiable paybacks are. So uh, safety and avoided injuries, trying to put a number on that, some of the soft savings, the ability to meet demand, um, the, it's kind of, inappropriate to say but i will that the, you know the robots don't get viruses right so they it's, it's sick days and people calling in sick on super bowl monday there's there's some reliability factors involved in automation that they're trying to put a number on to help sell the project to get these things invested and and with the robots and the cobots they tend to be smaller incremental spends as opposed to large step investments so it's a little bit easier to build that justification for the cobots and robots you can set them up in an area of the building, run it on a subsection of orders and build the justification through testing more than only theoretical justification. So you could take a little bit different tact or approach to justifying it when they are modular and can be implemented in small steps. Um, One final question for for our panel. How can the industry, all of us um, work together on standards that'll benefit the entire user community, the entire vendor community, so that users and clients out there don't end up with the Betamax robot when everyone else is buying the VHS robot.
1: So I'll jump in to start. Um, part of that is through, uh, MHI does a great job of setting up some of these committees. The robotics group is is part of that, where you bring people from all different companies that. Have some similarities in what they're bringing to the market, but they have um, s- some base of knowledge that they're bringing in that's a little bit different. And and you have that collaboration. What what's come out of that, not just through the robotics group, but a number of other uh, trade or, or excuse me committees within the organization, is standards that are now other companies are held to. You're you're kind of setting the barrier of entry or the bar higher, so that everybody's putting out higher quality, safer, you, you know, whatever the, the base test is, that everybody's being held to kind of a better standard. But the other part is, just as as individuals, both within MHI and, and individual companies, is are we looking out for what's best for the customer, for the end user? So, so we talk about ROI. If the right solution for a customer isn't to implement robotics, then the last thing we should be doing is telling them, you need to put in a whole bunch of, of robots in here because well, it's gonna suit my business better. We really need to be looking at what is the right answer for that end user? What what, what do they need to achieve? What are they looking to do in the next one, two, five years? And then how do we best give them the right solution for that and for their business?
2: So I would echo some of John's comments. I would say to you that if you're looking to implement a solution like this, you're in the right place. You've got the material landing industries, you've got the robotics group, there's experts all around here. Uh, Matt's company is fantastic at understanding how this all works together. You can, the solutions are here. I think that one of the encouraging things that I've seen, is, and, and to add on to what John was saying, was not only are we looking to try as groups to figure out what's going on, but the robotics companies themselves are doing a great job of trying to say, hey, is there an overriding software language? If I have a solution, it may be that robotics company A doesn't work with robotics company B, or that but not one size fits all. And so what the industry is recognizing is, while they're scaling into different types of robots, they're also sharing common language. So that for the end user, there is a a universal programming language that these guys can talk to and discuss about. There'll be idiosyncrasies within an individual manufacturer's technology, but the the language is the same, I think, that working together toward that is a really healthy thing that makes it easy for, frankly, an end user to say, I want to use company A over here, I think company B might be good here, and C might be there, and things are changing in this industry, so it's great to know that there's an, uh, a common theme of software and language that these, these, these devices can speak with one another, so that, that's really great.
3: And uh, I, I think they're great answers, and just, just to add to it is, if you're, if you're the operator, you know, like who, who cares really about the robot? What the operator cares about is the entire solution in their building. And so in, in every building that we're in, there's a whole host of other technology. And so, so that is the reality. Regardless of how big or how small, you're going to have a lot of different technologies from a lot of different vendors. And for, for us in this space, like yes, we have to have easy-to-use public-facing APIs. And then whether we're working alongside other robotic companies or other pieces of equipment in the building, like these systems should all be using open APIs, where you can go get a third-party developer, or you can ha- or the developer in the um, like at the operator, they're able to build that integration. Like an example of this t- today here at Modex in the, the pack size booth, where they make a um, they make a box a box builder. Um, we have built an integrated solution there, where there is a chuck that is um, picking and delivering that product to the pack size area. The operator, the associate, takes the skews out of the chuck um, and puts them on their conveyor where there's a scanner to dimension it. And then in a, the exact right box is caught in real time for those items that were just picked. And so that's an example of Um, three different pieces of technology talking with each other, the WMS, us, and PacSize's technology.
0: Thank you. Um, So what we'll do is we'll wrap up, and again, we talked about beyond the robot in this session, five high-level ideas to consider with the robots, the, the design and the engineering, the software integration, safety and risk assessment, the people and how they interact with the robots and then ultimately the investment in the ROI. And there is a lot to consider, but it is possible, the robots are possible, and as some people say, the robots are coming. But if, I have two more things in conclusion. First, if we could just take a brief second to thank these gentlemen for taking time out of their day to share their experiences with us. And we we really do appreciate it. And Because of of my business, what I'd like to end in saying is you can still pick and pack orders with paper and a lot of people, but you're not gonna be competitive. Um, It is changing, the technology is changing, and it's really easy to say why it can't work. It's a lot more difficult to think of how it can work, and I just encourage everyone to be leaders in the industry. Think of how it can work. Think how you can minimize the investment, whether it's Six River or any other robotic solution. Um, Technology is, changing and um, you have to really change with it and be a leader in the industry so thank you for your time and enjoy the show.